as I was thinking about today's sermon, um, really, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll get into that text in a little bit here, was really what sparked um, my, my focus for today's sermon. Um, and I want to start off by just giving a, a brief history of um, my childhood uh, quickly, as quickly as I can. And it, and it kind of starts the story, or where I'm going to pick up in the story, is um, an introduction that I had to uh, the voice, uh, the music, the artist, the legend, Stevie Wonder. I don't know if you're familiar with Stevie Wonder. Uh, kind of a big deal. I know I'm like, I'm 42, and I'm probably showing my age well. But he's kind of an old school, uh, I don't know, rock type funk, jazz. It's like a real blend of a bunch of different music. So I re- music, and I remember in 1984, uh, specifically driving in my mom's little green, uh, uh, I don't even know what it would be called. It was like a buggy slash, like, um, I won't even, I wouldn't even attempt to like give it a name, but it was an old school car. We were taking our, uh, my, 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 my um, brothers and sisters to school, and um, on the radio, uh, came the song I just called to say I love you. I don't know if you're familiar with this song, but I, as a six-year-old, fell in love with this song when I'm here. I'm just we're cruising down to Calvary Christian in Derry, New Hampshire, and I'm just like I just called to say this is a beautiful song, um, and this is at the age uh, six, and I remember it vaguely. And I remember loving the tune so much that I immediately started to ask my mom questions about this artist, right? Uh, I, I, she went on to explain how Stevie was blind. I thought this was remarkable. I was beside myself. He was blind, and he played the Fender Rhodes. And as I'm listening to his music and she's explaining his blindness, I'm like, how can this be? And later, uh, she would expose me to like Ray Charles and other uh, artists who had these weird kind of, you know, setbacks, you know, where they couldn't see or they were missing a limb and they could play their instruments so beautiful. And I thought to myself, how can this be? As a young man, I was beyond myself, beside myself. I immediately became obsessed. And I'm not trying to be dramatic here. I was literally obsessed with Stevie Wonder. Now, I'll just tell you a little backstory, just for a little uh, comedic relief. Um, Stevie had this, this way of swaying his head. I don't know if you've ever seen him in an interview. And it's, it's been yet to be determined why he had that sway. Uh, some speculated that maybe he just like kept rhythm good, like he was just a way of like keeping rhythm. But, you know, it kind of translated and carried on over into just, like, interviews. Like, he would just be in an interview. He's like, hey, man, you know, like, hey, man, you know. I recently saw an interview with Oprah um, that he was doing uh, with Oprah, and there was no head sway. Maybe he's too old now. I don't know. But he did this awesome head sway. It just added to the whole thing. It just made him more appealing to me. And um, he had these pair of glasses, and I really don't know how to explain it other than Kanye West made them popular again, I think somewhere in the mid-90s. They weren't sunglasses. They were just like glasses with like lines where you could like see through them. They didn't reflect the sun or keep the sun out of his eyes. They were just like a fashion statement. But I say this to say that Stevie was not just known for his great uh, art and music that he contributed to the world. He was a bit of a fashionista uh, in his accessory game was on point, let me just say. And uh, one of the ways in which that manifested itself was the glasses he wore. And still, even today, I saw him in that interview with Oprah, and he's just styling. He's just so styling. But I wanted to be like Stevie so much, man. 
I mean, there were certain qualities that I didn't share, you know, as like skin color <laughs> mainly, and I could see. But man, I remember being a young six-year-old, you know, sitting up at the coffee table. I just called to say I love, and I just try to get like his mannerisms down. And you know, as I looked further into the artist, I realized that uh, that song I just called to say I love you was just like the tip of the iceberg of great music that Stevie wrote. I would find songs like Superstitious. Um, Superstition, how many have ever heard that song? Phenomenal piece of art. And Isn't She Lovely, another great tune. And of course, I'm naming all the hits, okay? Uh, but you are the sunshine of my life. I mean, you just get into his life and you find these great songs. But I wanted to be Stevie. And, and I kid you not, I, I went to my mom, I was like, mom, if I can find a pair of glasses like that, they were like purple, kind of like, they look like something the Joker would wear. I was like, if I could find those glasses, there would be part of me that just would feel so complete. Can you find them? And of course, where do you find glasses like that? She found them though. Her, her friend actually found these purple see-through glasses and it just felt like a capstone for me. It's like, I have arrived because even though I couldn't be Stevie Wonder, of which I wanted to as a young six-year-old, I thought the next best thing would be, uh, to, it would be to imitate Stevie Wonder. You know what I'm saying? If I couldn't be him, I would be like him. And that was a good part of my growing up. And there was other artists as well that I found as the journey went on. Um, but the point is this, is where I'm going, is that imitation in our culture today, is frowned upon, isn't it? You know, there, there's something that is viewed as disingenuous, right? Like something that's fake and, oh, you're acting or you're not being yourself, right? You get that feel. But yet in scriptures, can I just say, we, we find a different story. Actually, the Bible encourages us, matter of fact, commands us to imitate God and godly people. Now, again, I told you, the text that sparked this idea in my head was Ephesians 5.1. We can turn there now. You can put it up on the overhead if you don't have your Bibles. Ephesians 5.1 is a short little text here. Here's the apostle. Paul says, therefore, be imitators, right? Be imitators. There it is. Of God as beloved children. Uh, so in, in essence, we are to emulate and copy God as children naturally would their father. And you know, I, I, as a dad of a 13-year-old and, and a five-month-old child, I, I, I find that this is very true. There are, especially in my teenage son, things that I see in him that are, like, of me. Like, I, I, there are good things, and there are things that absolutely concern me. But I can't get down on them because I'm like, uh, you're a chip off your old man's, you know, block. You're, you're, you're just like me. But we are to pattern our lives after God. Now, that seems like a tall order. I mean, this is God the Father we're talking about. But therefore, Paul says there, right in the text, we just read it, be imitators of God. And we're going we're gonna to get into what that means because it's not as mysterious as maybe we like to think it is. It's actually pretty simple. But it appears as though as we get further into the scriptures that this isn't the only text uh, that exists. And, and, and this isn't the only text that kind of props up you know, imitation, if you would, following the example of others. Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. Here's the Apostle Paul again. It says, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, talking about the apostles, because you were, because, excuse me, we were not idle when we were with you. Okay, so that's 
Thessalonians, right? Paul says, imitate us apostles. And then later in Hebrews, the author in chapter 13, verse 7 says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Very specific. We're zeroing right into what some of the authors of the New Testament are, 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 are sussing out for us, right? It's pretty clear. Remember your leaders. Remember Daryl Temple, Amy Eifler, <laughs> you know? Uh, remember Bethany Temple, you know, uh, Tara, uh, Izzy, you know, remember them and consider the outcome of their way and imitate their faith. Now, you may look at me and I got somebody I don't want to imitate, but, you know, that's, that's on you. It's not me. Irregardless, we read the text. Now, in 3 John 1.11, we read this. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Now, there's a different kind of spin we see in the New Testament. John says, whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. In other words, Copy those, whoever, you know, emulate, follow their example, whoever is doing good, zero in on that person. So we're not just talking about apostles, we're not just talking about pastors or leaders, we're talking about whomsoever is doing good in the work of the Lord, follow their example, right? So the way I look at this is the scripture, and this is just a couple of texts, the scriptures encourage us, they emphasize that we, uh, the people of God, are to follow the examples of God and godly people. That seems to be uh, what we're going after today, and that seems to be the text in, of, of what we're focusing on, excuse me. Now, um, you gotta think, think of, what is the explanation? Why is this so important? Because I'm only rattling off four texts, you know? The New Testament, if, if you really get into like the writings of Paul, you know, and some of Peter's work, and even Jesus' work, I mean, this, this stuff is all throughout the New Testament. So we're just, we're just barely scratching the surface of where the Bible commands us and encourages us to follow the example. But, but what is the reason? What is the logical explanation? And the only thing that I have concluded is that uh, following the examples of God and godly people they must be critical and crucial to the growth of our, or the development of our faith. And of course, is that not what uh, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews uh, said here in Hebrews uh, 13, 7, right? That we're to imitate their faith. I imagine if I'm, I'm imitating somebody's faith, their, their walk with God, that I'm growing and developing because I'm sure there are certain qualities in that individual that is not in me. Now, let me zero in on something and use um, my marriage as an example. Bethany and I are totally different people, thank God, you know. I wish she'd be more like me. I think we'd, you know, she's not, pray for her. Uh, no, no, I'm grateful for those differences, I really am. God am I grateful, God am I grateful. Um, there, there's strengths naturally that she has that I don't have, right? And, and there's strengths that I have that she doesn't have. There's certain convictions, there's morals, there's standards, there's ideals, there's principles that she has that I don't, but I need. For example, Bethany loves to do kind, honorable things 
for people who I think have done unkind, horrible things to us. And she loves it. I don't get it about her. I'm like, uh, there's part of me that just wants to shut that person off, shut that person out of our existence. Like, just get away from me. But Bethany, you know, I, I want to give them the cold shoulder. Bethany wants to buy a gift certificate at their favorite restaurant for them to bless them. And of course, it's a kind of love your enemies kind of thing, right? There's this example where she just, she exudes that type of behavior. And I just don't have that in me. I don't want to do that. But yet, I yield. I yield. Because I know it's Christ-like. And in yielding, I, I choose to follow the example of my wife, right? Over what I want to do. See, the moment, guys, here's the thing. Let me, let me just zero in on this um, a little bit here. See, the Bible doesn't teach us to be ourselves, to live out our ways and just do our lives the way we see fit to do, right? It, it teaches us to deny ourselves, right? Not only just deny ourselves, but to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Is this not the words of Christ in Matthew 16, 24? Just in case, here's Jesus. He told his disciples, if anyone, not just the crowd that's listening, but you and I who will come years and years after Jesus' ascension, Anyone, Daryl Temple, Bethany, anyone here who has made a choice to be a disciple of Christ, if they would want to come after Christ in any intentional way, they must what? Deny themselves, take up their cross to follow Christ. Can I just submit to you this idea? One of the ways in which we deny ourselves and follow Christ, I believe, is that we follow the example of Christ. That's, that's one way. You see, when, when I chose to pick up, you know, Bethany's example of loving enemies. I, I chose at that moment a different way. I, I chose to follow something else than what I wanted to do. And I can't help but think that this is the way our faith works, right? Like, this is what Jesus means by denying ourselves. See, there is a part of me that just wants to stick up and say, no, do not buy that gift certificate. I can't stand that person. Matter of fact, I could rattle off a couple examples, uh, but I won't because it might shine some light on some people that I don't want to. But anyways, there are times when she just is yes, yes, and I am no, no. But I yield in that moment. I make a, 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 a decision. I choose to lay down, to deny what I want to do and do what I have to do, do what's required. And of course, loving your enemies is required. It doesn't come easy. But it's, it's, it's a joy in this is that we get to lay down what we prefer to do and do what Christ requires us to do. You know, in this era of social media, we know all about unfollowing and following, don't we? You know, seems to be our lives, some of us, you know. I've unfollowed some people recently. I'm not going to lie, I'm cheesy and petty like that, but I do it, you know. There just comes a time, you got to unfollow some people. I've probably, been, I probably have been unfollowed as well, and that's fine. But I, but I can't help but to think that the invitation that Jesus gives us to follow 
him is really an invitation to stop following ourselves. Right? And so I just submit this idea to you as, as a body. We must, it is imperative as disciples of Jesus, unfollow our ways and follow the ways of Christ. Now here, as we move closer to the end, there's a massive difference. Hear me now, because we're 23 minutes into this sermon. I imagine some of you are already like thinking about what's after this. But there is a massive difference in distance between our ways and God's ways. A massive, we, you know, a couple of us are like, yeah, absolutely. But I don't know if we really think like that. I, I sometimes think as, as God's people, maybe because we were we bear the image of God. I don't know what it is, but I, I sometimes think we, we drink the Kool-Aid and we think that somehow, some way, God's ways are our ways, his thoughts are our thoughts, and it's not. There's a massive difference. Now, I wish I could kind of coin that intellectual property as my own, but I can't, all right? Charles Spurgeon did. Charles Spurgeon talked about this in a commentary on Isaiah 55. He talked about the difference and the distance between God way, God's ways excuse me, and man's ways based upon that text, which reads this, if you want to put it up on the screen, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. So this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Hold up. I got something to say through the prophet. Isaiah, tell the people. My thoughts are not their thoughts. My ways are not their ways, period. For as, he, for as excuse me, the heavens are higher than the earth. So, that is huge. That is a massive separation, right? We got to fly rockets up into the cosmos and barely even scratch the surface of, of, of the vastness of that space. But, it, but God's ways, his thoughts are so high so massively, you know, elevated. So we, we barely scratch the surface. We, we can just barely touch and wrap our, our small minds around God's ways and thoughts. But they're higher. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts. So there's just sounding off again. Here's what I like to suss out using some of Spurgeon's work. The ways that the author of Isaiah uh, uses here means the way in which we behave and conduct our life. Those seem to be the ways that are just massively different. Meaning God doesn't behave like us and he does not conduct our, his life like we conduct our lives. That's, that's, what, that's what Isaiah is getting to the point. And Spurgeon lays out, and I love this because this can kind of seem discouraging, but it's actually meant to encourage us. All right, Spurgeon laid out how God doesn't think or act like us. We read that and how we can get ourselves in trouble by making the mistake and thinking that he does what he doesn't. But then he goes on to explain that even those God's ways of thinking and acting are entirely different than ours. Doesn't mean that our ways and thoughts can't be transformed. It doesn't mean that they can't be conformed and, and touched and turned around to reflect. And that's the hope of all of this. Isn't that not Romans 8, 29? Isn't that what he means, Paul the Apostle? He says that both of our thoughts and ways can be conformed to the image of God. There's hope. 
There's massive hope, and we should be encouraged by this. I am deeply encouraged that God is nothing like me. <laughs> so seriously, like I'm impatient, I'm unkind, I lack generosity, like I'm just so grateful that God is nothing like us. And in addition to that, I'm so glad that God is powerful enough to not leave me, you know, prescribing to my own fan page, you know, so to speak. Like, I just, do me, you know. I, I, listen, even though I openly confess that I am impatient and unkind and sometimes lack generosity, God is at work, all right? There's a hope in my soul because the unkind, you know, the man who lacked generosity and kind of impatient man that existed 10 years ago, five years ago, even last year, is totally different by the grace of God and the work of his hand. And, and, and here it is. This is where we'll end. And then we're going to celebrate somebody who's made a decision to relinquish their way and follow the ways of Christ. God, what a good Sunday. There's hope. The psalmist in chapter 86, verse 11, cries out to God. And, and this should be all of us. We should all do this. He cries out to God to teach him his ways, to teach David. He, he, David cries out, God, teach me your ways. Why? So that David can walk in them. So that David can actually walk in the ways that God is teaching him to walk in. Man, there, there, that is so hopeful. That is so hopeful. A lot can be done if we would humble ourselves and allow God to teach us. Yes, the, 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 the distance and the difference between God's ways um, and thoughts are massive. But you see, in God, he has made a way. He has brought, you know, that distance and that difference together in his son, Jesus. And he has provided a means where we don't have to stay in a rut and in the gutter when it comes to our ways and thoughts, but they can be redeemed and touched and sanctified and redeemed by the hand of God. The idea is simple. In closing, as believers, we are to make God and godly people our example and model our lives after them. Today, I'm going to invite my good friend and ministry partner, Kalen Bell, to the front. You can put your hands together. He's a good man. He deserves a clap. And we're going to baptize. But he's going to open us up and start to lead this procession, and then we'll get on with it. Do you mind if I can get, uh, my phone is dead, but Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Uh, we have an exciting opportunity to uh, join in celebration with one of our sisters in Christ. Um, someone who means quite a, a lot to me. And uh, we have an, an exciting opportunity to uh, enjoy and celebrate in her baptism. 
and um, she has an incredible testimony. We're going to allow her to come up and speak in just a moment. I just wanted to go over uh, why, why we do baptisms and why they're important. You know, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, and I'm going to read probably till the end of the chapter. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Verse 14. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? Verse 15. But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. Verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. 18. That might be it, all right? Um, so I think there are two things that are important for us to recognize as we uh, join my friend Hannah Julia and celebrate with her as she is baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, John is unworthy. He judges rightly. Uh, what he judges wrongly is that Jesus does everything in accordance to the scriptures. He does, even his baptism, all that God requires. And so simply put, one of the reasons we do baptism is because it's simply something God requires. It's simply something that is according to the scripture. And so that's what we get to do today, is walk in accordance to the scripture. We are to go to the nations. We are to teach all the commandments of God. And we are to baptize. We are to baptize. We are to baptize. And so today we get to baptize. One of the most remarkable things about that passage is that it's Jesus being baptized and it precedes the temptation in the wilderness. And before Jesus does any public work, any public ministry, any public sign, any public healing, the Father says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus receives the identity of a son. The father confirms who he is. The father releases pleasure and joy before he does a thing that might receive an applause, that might receive validation, that might receive recognition. And this comes before the testing. This comes before the walking. This comes before the ministry. And it's important for us to receive our identity as sons. As we walk through this complex and hard life, we have an opportunity uh, to receive identity in baptism, to receive sonship, to know that God is pleased, that we belong to him. And how many of us need a reminder as we go through the ebbs and flows of life that no matter what, no matter my shortcomings, no matter the difficulties, God has made up his mind about me. And that's what baptism is all about. It's a reminder that it's a, it's a declaration that God has made up his mind about me. Until my final day on this earth, he calls me son. He's pleased with me. And as we go through challenges, and this should speak to somebody today, I want you to remember when you were baptized, 
and to recall and to speak that over your heart again, that sometimes we forgot. This is a reminder for all of us, not just Hannah Julia, that we belong to a Father who is in heaven and he is well pleased. And so as we partake, I want us to celebrate with our sister, but I want us to rejoice because we have a good God. He's a good Father and we are his sons in whom he is well pleased. Hannah Julia, would you come up? I don't know where you might be. Yeah, give her a round of applause. I know you have a few things written down, so do you want me to hold this for you? Okay. okay. Um, since the day the Lord saved me, I haven't felt any anxiety or panic. I feel free and braver to be myself. I can talk about the Lord without feeling afraid. Now every time I look at something beautiful or even humanity, I think about him and how beautiful he really is and how much he loves me. He is going to be with me every step of the way. He leads. He made life. He created love. He puts ideas in our heads to construct this earth. He forgives us right away without hesitation. He is so priceless. When I came back from IHOPU in Kansas City, I felt like a whole new person. My experience at, this, at the camp was probably the best thing I've ever experienced. Seeing young people worshiping the Lord and praying for each other, it's so different from school. They're more confident, kinder, and it's easier to talk to them knowing they serve the same king. To the second to the last day of camp, I asked my group leader, what does it feel like to be saved? She didn't answer me. I had to figure it out on my own. After that, I gave my heart to the Lord and I felt his presence. He answered my question at the altar. Amen.
Jesus, you make. opportunities to not just hear the word, but go out and live it and do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, you can clap. It's okay. It's a safe place. Yes. Hey, listen, as always, um, the altar will be open. We all have our core team here to pray uh, for anyone who needs prayer. Uh, could be related to the sermon. Uh, could be unrelated, but whatever uh, the issue is, just know, or whatever the request is, just know that there'll be people here that want to pray for you. In addition to that, as we uh, dismiss uh, and end our service today, uh, if you look to the left, or am I left, you're right, uh, is that, yeah, uh, is the Info Center. If you're new here, we haven't scared you too much, and you're like, hey, I'd like to find out some more information about this church, I want to encourage you, go over there, there's some awesome, warm people that just want to talk to you and, and get some information other than that, church, we love you. Be blessed. Have a great week and come back to church Sunday. Amen. Amen. Cheers.